Welcome to the Soup is On podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Cook, superintendent of Benla Pine Schools. On the Soup is On podcast, we talk about all things public education, specifically as they relate to our Benla Pine Schools and the greater community here in Central Oregon. Today on the podcast, we're going to take a turn at a pretty heavy topic, and we're going to talk about an issue that we see affecting all of our school, all of our secondary schools, and many of our students. We're going to talk about vaping. Uh, Today, I'm excited to be joined by Becky Ayler, Assistant Principal at Mountain View High School. Hi, Becky. Hello. How are you? Thank you for having me here. And also, Dr. Amy Snyder, Prevention and Health Promotion Supervisor from Deschutes County. Hi, Amy. Hello. Thanks to both of you for joining us today, Um, and welcome. Um, We are going to be talking about a, a topic that I know both of you are have extensive experience in and are are dealing with actually quite regularly and i'm hoping that we can pick your brains and come out with some products that our listeners can uh, walk away with today first of all what's going on in our schools what's the information that we should be sharing with our parents about the state of how that's going on in our schools maybe even in the county today Um, how it's impacting our students what we're seeing true actual impacts in our in our student population across our schools and what are we doing collectively about this problem? And most importantly, how do we help families and, and listeners and students that, that might be listening to this find and access resources and how they can find a path through this uh, for those that might be experiencing addiction and, and struggling with, uh, uh, with vaping? It's, it's a real issue in this community. It's a real issue across the United States. And I'm glad to have two experts to talk to in this podcast today. So, Becky, I'd love to start with you. Could you please share with us a bit about the level of vaping you see here on campus, which to me, I'm guessing, represents many of our high schools, what we see across the community, maybe even uh, not only in Ben Lapine schools, but in Central Oregon and maybe even further across the, the state and the country. Vaping definitely isn't a new thing. I did some research on this. Um, vaping was invented in 2003, but it hit the shelves in 2010. And then by 2018, the U.S. Surgeon General declared that vaping by U.S. teenagers had reached epidemic levels. That was news to me. So I did some research, pulled some data from our school, Mountain View High School. And in 2018, that was the high. So we had 98 infractions in 2018. And it continued to go down a little bit after that because of COVID. Even during the COVID years, ironically, we had four students that were vaping because they had accidentally left their cameras on during a teaching WebEx that was on there. So we even had four from that. And then um, this year, our current numbers are around 44 um, and we're at like between 50 and 60 days of school. So that's where we're at with the vaping. Some other stats that I was looking at earlier this week is that the high seems to be in the 10th grade. Um, leading with boys, followed closely by the girls, and then our freshman girls are the largest incident population. So, and I think too, with vaping, one of the drastic changes we've seen this year, and this is my fifth or sixth year with behavior, dean of students, vice principal stuff, the drastic thing this year is that vaping is almost 50-50 50-50 between nicotine and marijuana, which is a huge change for us. In so that's that's an important designation. So I, I, this is new learning for me. I used to believe, I could not believe differently, that vaping had this big puff of white cloud that you would see. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, whether whether a student is vaping, a student or anybody is are vaping from a, a vape pen, there may not be a puff of uh, exhaust or whatever you call that. Uh, and it might be mm-hmm. nicotine-based, it might be marijuana-based, and that's both of those are in our schools, correct? Oh yeah, definitely 
probably almost every day. And I want to be really clear that most of our students are not substance use addicted students. It is a small population, but that population is increasing and they are struggling in so many areas. So, so the students that are, that are caught or the students that are currently vaping, either nicotine or marijuana, what happens when, they, when they're caught? Tell, tell, is it, do they just get suspended? Do they get a conversation? Do they, what does that look like for you? It's changed throughout the years. Ben Lapine School District has invested in staffing for our school specifically. We have a break room that where we try to keep students in school so they can work on academics. If they are intoxicated or under the influence, we would have to send them home. Um, and then the process would be we bring them in to our campus monitor space. We may have to do a bag search, empty their pockets, have a conversation with the student, find out who they were with. We have an officer in our building that will give them a test if they're under the influence of marijuana. It doesn't happen very often, but we have issued MIPs through the school for students, which is minor in possession. And then from there, we have a phone call with the parent. I give the student an opportunity to be the person to have that conversation with their family first on speakerphone in my office. And, and I'll touch base with the student prior. How is this going to go with mom, dad, guardian, who you live with? Like, do they know that you use? Is this a new thing? Is this something that you've struggled with for a while? So I have probably a, I would say it's probably a solid 45 minutes before we even call the parent. Just talking with the student, gathering information, making sure they're safe, that they're okay. Often they're using off campus and then they're walking in. So I want to make sure that whoever they were using with, they're not out there driving and just really having them comfortable to share and talk about their struggles. Having the conversation with the parent and their choice, whoever they want me to call, that's who we call. Um, tell the parent that they're on speakerphone, have the student share if they want to. And it's interesting from there because so many parents, A, either have no idea that their students have used ever, B, they're angry because they know their student uses and they're mad that they got caught because they've, they're just angry because of that reason. Or third reason is the parent has also struggled with substance abuse and that's part of their culture and they may they may do this as a family. Do we see do we actually see a difference in, in whether it's nicotine or marijuana? Do do kids get treated differently if it's a nicotine infraction? Do they get treated differently if it's a marijuana infraction? We used to treat them differently. This year um, there's some new processes in space where we do not treat it differently. Substance use is substance use. Um, if there's an incident with a vape pen that's nicotine based, we can keep them in school and they can work on their missing assignments, but if they're under the influence, then we would need to send them home for the day. We would bring them back the next day being in school suspended, and then based on how many times you know the infractions happened before would based on uh, how many days they would be suspended. Typically, they go home that day if they used Monday at lunch, came in to school intoxicated, they would go home Monday. Tuesday, we'd bring them in for an in-school suspension day. We would do a re-entry meeting with them on Wednesday and have them back in class Wednesday first period decision to treat the substances the same was one of the public health recommendations that we made when the district made their upshift protocol for this year. So Amy, okay, I want to interrupt yeah. you if I could. You're, you mentioned something that, that we've implemented this mm-hmm. year that is really important and I want you to take just a little more time with our listeners and make sure they know and understand, first of all, why that conversation happened about nicotine versus mm-hmm. marijuana, what upshift is, 
and why we've gone this direction because I think that's a really important point. Excellent, I can do that. For us with our public health recommendation to treat all substances the same with our protocol for how we respond when a student has substance use in the school is because it's one very difficult as an administrator to tell the difference sometimes between whether a vape liquid has nicotine or THC in it. Um, sometimes you may only tell by the signs that they're exhibiting and when they show those signs of intoxication that's when we want to have them go home because we want them to be in a place where they can become well. The other um, reason is that there are differences in the access a student has so if there's more punishment for one substance over the other it's not necessarily the root cause of the behavior that we're responding to there it's because their family had access to one or the other, or their friend had access to one or the other. And sometimes there's cultural aspects, sometimes there's income aspects. So really this is an equity initiative to treat all of them the same because our, our underlying factor that we're looking to, to intervene on is the behavior, not the substance. Um, and that's why we treat the substances the same. So this feels like, and I would love to have some clarification on this, like a pretty dramatic shift in how we're treating uh, chemical abuse and addiction and when drugs or substances, illicit substances, enter our schools, um, even just as little as five or ten years ago, uh, we had a completely different approach. Is that a fair statement to say that it's, it's a different approach now? Yeah, it was definitely a zero tolerance policy. If a student was under the influence of my prior district, it was an automatic five to ten day suspension. And the idea behind that was we want to send a strong message so they don't use. and it's a struggle because now we're sending a student who could have addiction substance use problems home for weeks with no adult supervision or mentors or way to keep up with school. It was a, it was a poor model. So Amy, you mentioned upshift. How does upshift play into this kind of, um, it sounds to me a little more restorative, a little more of a uh, partnering with the student, trying to help the student, provide the student resources and opportunities. How does Upshift fit into that? That's new language for us here in the district. What is Upshift and how does that play a part in this kind of changed view of this? Upshift is an alternative to out-of-school suspension program for substance use violations. The main idea of it is that we treat the underlying health issue um, when a student is violating because of substance use. So when they have a violation, um, the administrator likely um, does a, after getting parent consent, does a screening with the student to identify the level of risk that they have with their substance use. If they're at a lower to medium level of risk, they stay at the school and they would do a program called Teen Intervene, which is a research tested program that's been found to be effective at reducing risk of substance use. Um, it's a harm reduction program. It's not a zero tolerance program in that the students identify their causes of why they use substance, their triggers. They identify the reasons why they use, they identify the reasons why they may not want to use, and then they weigh those together. And then they work on their skills to be able to make decisions, goal set, um, and refuse when they're offered again. Um, and so that's an effective approach to reducing substance use because we're building their skills and we're getting a relationship with a trusted adult that they can come to when they need more help as they move forward. Um, the next part of that is if a student screens at a high risk or medium to high risk of substance use, um, they get a referral to treatment to a licensed treatment provider. 
Um, and all of this is being done by the school administrators and the school staff. Um, and this is a wonderful thing, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about what gives us hope later. Um, and this is one of those things that gives me a lot of hope because our school staff have started treating the health issues that underlie these disciplinary issues um, and really using best practice, evidence-based approach that work. Amy, you mentioned the word harm in that, and I'm just curious, what, what does the data tell us about um, the effects of, of the vaping uh, both physically and, and as it relates to addiction for adolescents and teens. Um, I mean, these are growing students. I'm just wondering, is there, is it so new that we don't know the effects yet? Or is there enough data that we are actually starting to know and understand the impacts of students uh, 13, 14, all the way up to 18 years old while they're still growing? Is there data out there? There is. It's um, definitely an emerging issue. So there's limited data, but there is data. Any type of vaping, no matter if they're vaping nicotine, THC, or even if it's just flavorings or essential oils, all of that can be very harmful to the lungs. It's a very delicate organ and it's a really important filter. And so if we're even just vaping oils, that's not something that should be in our lungs. Um, so there's respiratory issues with it. It can make it difficult to breathe, difficult to keep up and play and have fun um, with friends. and. Um, it makes it difficult to concentrate as well. Um, another aspect is that vaping and especially nicotine can affect how our brain functions and how our brain develops. And so since adolescents don't have their brain fully developed yet until the age of 25, that area in the front of our brain that's responsible for how well we can concentrate, how well we can learn, how well we can make plans and really um, decide what's best for us and what do we want in the future, that can be damaged when they're vaping before it's fully developed. So that's another pretty serious concern. It can also affect their impulse control, which can affect how well they can make friends and maintain those friendships, um, in addition to other things like being out of trouble. Um, some of the social consequences that we see is some students may not want to be around other students who are vaping because they may not want to get in trouble. Um, we've heard some students say, I don't want to go into a certain space where I think students might be vaping because I don't want to like, be like part of that. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And so that can really, if you're a student who's vaping, that can affect who is around you. And that's a really important thing for an adolescent is to have that sense of a belonging, that no matter what they're doing, that they have people around them who care about them. Um, and so that's just another consequence that can occur caused by vaping. Do I understand correctly that there are vape cartridges out there that have really like flavored smells and, and have like fruity, like things that would be very attractive to students 12, 13 years old? Yes. Yes. There's grape, cotton candy, things that are very much um, something that a young person would be attracted to when they smell that. Um, and we hear reports from students that that's the reason why they tried it to begin with, was they were interested in the smell and the taste of it. And they did not know what was in it. Um, and they, you know, just at that developmental stage, it's difficult to weigh over what's the possible consequence of this relatively benign looking thing. Um, and usually when things are candy flavored, they're not harmful for you, but in this case it is. Pancake syrup and cinnamon roll was a win in the middle school. Say those again. Pancake syrup and cinnamon roll was the win for middle school flavors. So you mentioned middle schools, Becky. I'm just curious. Um, I know you've been, you've spent most of your career in administration at the high school level, but are you aware that this is a middle school issue as well? 
100%, the students that I interview and talk with, I would say 95% of them start in middle school at fifth and sixth, seventh grade. There's very few that start as a freshman or a sophomore or a junior. So I'm just wondering, you've, you've talked with lots of students about this. Are there any specific student stories that you can share with us, protecting their anonymity, of course, but I'm just wondering if there's any of those that, that stuck with you or that resonated with you about how this student was impacted by vaping and whether or not uh, it's, your interaction with them has, has been something that you've remembered. Definitely. A student that comes to mind is a student who their parents started drug testing them when they were in middle school, when their friends started using. And as that student grew up through um, middle school and high school, the verbiage that her friends would continue to tell her were, I am addicted, I wish I was like you, I cannot quit, this is so expensive, stealing money from their parents, drawers or whatever to support their habits and just hearing those conversations of I can't stay in class for 72 minutes because my addiction is so strong I need to leave every class to figure out a place to use so it affects not just the social piece but it affects their academics where they cannot stay in class and I think that's a that's a big piece but with that student they ended up not using through high school but was a student that would come in and and share just regularly about the struggle and the friends and the use and where the nicotine took them and it was not a path that they chose when they were in seventh grade it was not their dream to be where they were as juniors in high school and I imagine when it's addiction that that was at front of mind rather than studies and things that they should be participating in in school whether middle school or high school those they're they're not thinking about what they're supposed to be learning or the activities they're thinking about the substance abuse and and I think a, a lot of the piece to add what Amy was saying with the high school piece is apathy comes with that with substance use comes apathy Say more about that. Apathy regarding what? So many things. I think apathy, you ask so many high school students that are in my office for these incidences, hey, what do you do on the outs? What do you like to do? What's your passion? What's your hobby? I I don't really have one. What do you mean you don't have one? We've all had one. And they're like, well, I I don't really do anything. I'm, I'm on my phone and I like to get high. And so we talk about, well, nicotine is a drug or marijuana is a drug. And and that's a piece of that is that apathetic piece of, I hate when people say marijuana is a drug. It's not a drug. And I hear that from students multiple times a week, how nicotine is not a drug and marijuana is not a drug. It's just part of their culture in 2022. So there's, there's a very, there's a huge disregard of what, in my humble opinion, is reality of it is a drug. It is not good for you. Like Surgeon General warning, this is a piece of it. To a student who is 14, 15, a student I'm thinking about just two weeks ago, and he was like, it's not a drug. I hate when people say that. And that's when MIPs come into play because students don't want that. And so at some point you have to put some teeth into them because you want these kids to be well. Like recognize this is hurting you and you're not passing your classes, but you're here every day. We got to talk. I think another layer of that is sometimes we see um, a negative attitude or that apathetic attitude that comes um, along with an addiction. 
Um, and it sometimes adds a psychological protection in that you might want to quit or you might recognize that something's harmful for you, but because you can't quit and because you can't change that, there's a discomfort that happens. Um, it's called cognitive dissonance, in case you want to know, where we have to explain away things that don't fit with what's happening with me. So if I, if I really want to quit, and I've been trying, or I think about trying, and I keep failing, that's pretty harmful to me as a growing adolescent when we know that our confidence in the ability to do something is really critical for any of our behaviors. Um, and so if we think about, like, I want to quit or acknowledge that, that it's harmful to me, and they still can't stop, that's a pretty tough place for them to be in. And so that attitude sometimes comes out where they deflect that information because they can't do any they feel like they can't do anything about it um, and so sometimes we see that come out um, when it might just be a matter of slowly learning um, about that they can do little things to find happiness or to find um, some way of getting connected while even if they're still inside this addiction but just that harm reduction tiny baby steps and then recognizing i can be empowered i can have control over small things and eventually you can get control back so amy just we're we're fortunate to have you partnering with us in the district because you've got kind of this foot in schools and this foot in public health what's the narrative in in the world of public health on a broader context is this is this an issue? Is are we in a crisis? Is this just? It's just that the way we're raising our kids today. Is this? What's the public health's view on this right now? Public health has been very concerned about vaping since it really started picking up. Just the significant increase that we saw in adolescent vaping year by year um, was very concerning to us because we spent the last many decades on aiming to help people quit smoking and reducing youth smoking, and we've done well on that, um, though tobacco had continued to be the leading cause of death. Um, and we just didn't want our adolescents to start that trend again, and it is. It's picking up, um, though we did have a drop last year with, or two years ago, I guess at this point, with 2020 um, when students were doing virtual learning, um, but um, it just means that we might not have been able to detect it. So we will see um, this year when the 2022 Oregon Student Health Survey data comes out, really how much of a level of vaping that we have um, from that. Um, but it's, it's likely around 30 to 35% of 11th grade students, which is high for us. Though the majority still don't vape, um, that's a concern just because of how addictive substances can be and how it can affect the brain long term. Okay, so you've got my attention. This is a problem. This is real. It's here today. It's we're dealing with it very directly. We have a great partnership. I wanna I wanna shift our thinking now to a little more like okay, so now what? What are we seeing success with? Where are the where is the partnership making impacts? How are we creating? change in our schools with the approach that we when you talk about upshift when we talk about changing uh, disciplinary procedures on how we deal with students um, give our parents give our listeners give our students that might be listening a little bit of hope you talked about cognitive dissonance um, if a parent's going to talk with their student about the understanding the challenges of coming off of a substance abuse and breaking the the chain of addiction like that's a really challenging conversation I want to spend the next part of our, our time together helping provide hope and success mm -hmm. and what's working. And so what, what can you say right now that's working? 
I can start with one thing with our families too, with the process of how we work through violations and incidents. Um, we do send out a support letter to our families with a variety of links for just how to get support. There's a lot of um, conversation starters for parents to broach the questions with their students when they get home. Um, oftentimes the conversation when we get off the phone when I have the student in my office wrapping up with the parent like, your student is doing the best that they can with the tools that they have. What they need right now is to have an open communication at home, um, let them know that they're loved, let them know that they're cared for. Um, I send the message all day long, like, I'm on your team. Like, we are all on, if the student's name is David, like, we're all on Team David. David wants to graduate from high school with a diploma and be successful and have um, positive peer interactions and a positive future. Mom, dad, grandma, whoever's raising David wants that. We want that as administrators and teachers. We're all on the same team. And I think getting that point across to the student is really difficult and sometimes getting that point across to families is difficult too because we don't want to be the punitive you know vape police that's not why we got into education ever for that and so really building that relationship and leaving that door open I'll give it a day or two before I send that resource letter out um, I'll give them I'll send them an email right away with some some conversation starters and on that resource letter there's um, links to their counselor um, different material books resources and then I do a worm handoff to our upshift coordinator in our building and I'll let Amy take off from there. Yes, um, we know Upshift is an effective program so that program does work to reduce risk of substance use once it's already started. It's also helpful for catching it early um, which is another um, benefit for reducing that risk of ad addiction of needing treatment. Um, one thing I want to note is when someone does have an addiction it would be best if they can be referred to a treatment provider so that they can have treatment um, as for their medical condition of addiction or substance use disorder, what it's called once it's diagnosed. Um, and so that part of Upshift that does the referral to treatment is a really important part if there is to the point of having addiction. Um, another thing Ben Lapine Schools has that's excellent is care solace. That any family member of a student, um, students themselves, um, staff and family members of staff can use to have someone help them navigate into what's called behavioral health care. Um, behavioral health care is both mental health care and substance use health care. So Care Solace can help you um, by figuring out what type of treatment you need and then doing all the calling to get somebody scheduled for an appointment so that they can get into treatment faster. Um, if they're in Upshift, they wouldn't necessarily need to go through Care Solace because through Upshift, they would get a referral directly to the provider that's contracted with the district to provide that service. Um, but for those who are seeking care or treatment outside of having a substance use violation, they can go through Care Solace, which is just a wonderful resource that Ben Lapine Schools has brought to your community. Um, another really important resource is the quit lines that we have in Oregon. So families can text Ditch Vape um, to 88709, and that's youth um, to youth texting support to quit. Um, there's also the Oregon Quit Line, which has adults help that can help youth as well, and that goes for ages 13 and up. Um, also, Youth Line, which is I believe is on all the students' badges. Um, students can contact Youthline just to talk to another youth about the things that they're experiencing because often the substance use is being used to cope with some of the stressors they have and the Youthline volunteers um, can help talk to them about 
um, different resources or different ways to cope with some of the common experiences that those youth also experience. Thank you for those resources, Amy. We'll be sure to put those uh, in the show notes and the links. We'll provide those links. Um, That's a great resource for our listeners. Okay, Amy, so what can families do at home right now to to help their students um, either prevent getting started with vaping or help them stop? We, one thing that we want families to know is that family members are the number one influence on a child's behavior, including adolescence behavior. We talk a lot about peer pressure, but the adolescent often learns by watching older siblings or by watching their parents and how they handle stress. How do they respond to um, the challenges that they're experiencing? Do they lean into substances or do they lean into other types of coping activities that may be health harming rather than health enhancing. Um, And as Becky had mentioned, sometimes the students who are using substances are also using substances themselves. Um, So that can be really influential for students. One thing that we know that really works out well, as Becky had mentioned, is having that open, nurturing conversation with your teen um, and really starting that very early. So we recommend starting as early as third grade, second grade, you know, when people, when the child sees someone vaping, of bringing it up, of talking about their concerns about vaping, and then asking as they age up, um, what are they experiencing, what are they seeing, and really having just an open conversation without any judgment, um, without lecturing of really asking questions showing them that you're listening showing them that you want their point of view and then asking for permission to share your advice with what you as a parent or as an adult caretaker of a child think or you know want that child to do Um, it's also recommended to have very clear household rules of what's expected um, for their behaviors um, and then the consequences and privileges that you get when you have those behaviors and just having those communicated very clearly up front and really the reason why behind it is because we're concerned about your health and we want to take care of you and protect you not about um, taking away choice Uh, we really want children um, and adolescents to be able to have an adult supporter to help them identify what do they value what do they want to do and how do we help you do that as you age up and take ownership of your life and your choices so if i'm a parent of a sixth grader or a seventh grader is it too late never too late always always good time to have conversations and we have a program currently called parent connect um, that a lot of our schools and ben lapine schools have been hosting where parents come to a two-hour workshop and they learn about how to have those informal conversations just as you're driving um, having a chat about what are they seeing as far as substance use? Um, and those same strategies can be used with other types of difficult topics. Um, and the parents get to practice starting those conversations, um, going through some scenarios of if your child says this, here's some ways to respond. Um, we have a talk kit called the Marijuana Talk Kit, which can be used for any kind of substance use um, that we will include with the links that you'll share. Um, that's just a really great guide for parents to go through and really see the practical tips for how to bring up those conversations. It's definitely recommended to start in late elementary, definitely through middle school, and all the way through through their post-secondary. So after they graduate, we still are vulnerable to substance use and addiction, so it's important to carry that mentorship um, and guidance throughout that developmental stage. That's a lot for families. It's a lot for students. I think it's important that we just 
we promote this culture of we're going to talk about it, we're going to help you through it, and we're going to be a resource for you. And I think that's really powerful. Um, we One of the things we've started doing with our podcast is, is ending on more positive notes because we take on some pretty heady conversations sometimes, and this is definitely one of those. And so um, I'm going to ask you both this question. Um, it's not a new question. It's one that we've heard a lot lately. Um, what is giving you hope right now? Becky, let's start with you. Having this conversation, being out in the open, exposing what is happening is so huge for me personally. I'm a mom of two kids and I see this addiction every day. And so just being able to have it exposed and have open communication is awesome. Amy, how about you? What's giving you hope right now? I um, agree. This Just this gives me a lot of hope um, of having our educational leaders having a conversation about vaping and really taking on adopting a new program like Upshift um, to address health of students. Um, you know, we know healthy students are thriving students um, and just having this partnership to where we have public health and our education system working together that we're also bringing in parents and partnering with parents um, throughout that journey is just great. And we have you know, a lot of um, resources that we're able to use. Um, it's just a matter of helping us get access to them. Wow, well thanks, thanks to both of you. Um, I, I will we'll make sure to get all of those resources in the, in the show notes. Uh, you can access those through your podcast provider. Um, all right, folks, that's all for today. I wanna to thank my guests, Amy and Becky, both. Um, and remember, listeners, if you're pleased with the work we're doing on these podcasts, Please remember to subscribe and share your reviews on your podcast provider. Share them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Additionally, if there are topics you'd like us to tackle, please send us a note at podcast at ben.k12.or.us. Also, please let us know your thoughts and your feedback. Uh, Thanks for listening to The Soup is On, and please remember to always support public education. 